know, hey, do you remember uh, when I, I told you you were the, the whitest black guy I knew? And he's like, yeah, I do remember that moment. And I told him, hey, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't understand what I was saying there. Um, and I, I want to apologize to you. Sometimes it just takes one voice to interrupt the pattern of injustice. Hey everybody, welcome back to Where's God? Welcome back guys. Last episode was really intense for a very good reason. So Michael, what are we talking about today? Well, Johnny, today we are following up on our last episode where we talked to Godwin Sang about his experience as a black man in America. And um, it was a long episode and um, it took a lot of time and a lot of tears. Um, but it was definitely a good listen. So if you haven't listened to that, you need to go back and do that. Cause today we're going to be kind of following up with that and dialoguing about where we head next. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's, let's just be out front or up front, not out front. That's not a saying let's be up front and just acknowledge Michael that you and I are still processing this. This mm -hmm. is something that we have not always been aware of. And this is yeah. something that I, I feel very, remorseful that I've been silent more than mm -hmm. anything else. I feel remorseful that I've been silent. Yeah. And so we're here to just throw our voice into the chorus of those who are hurting into the chorus of those that are demanding justice. So mm -hmm. I think we want to explore a little bit today, some more biblical background and some other quotes and hopefully some practical steps for how we can move forward constructively as Christians. Absolutely. And in case you haven't caught it yet, we're talking specifically about racism. Let's go ahead and put the R word out there. Um, <laughs> injustice, the I word. Um, that's that's all the letter words that I'm going to be naming at this point. Oh, and um, systematic. Don't forget and, that one. Yeah, systematic, the S word. We need to put that out there too. Um, we, we wanted to talk about this because uh, in case you haven't caught by now, Johnny and I are both white. I, mean, I know you can't see us, but you can hear us. <laughs> and we come from... Uh, I don't, I mean, I can say for myself, monocultural background. I don't know about you, Johnny, what's your, your background in that, but just kind of the, the classic white, I'm English, Irish descent. Ultimately, if you trace my family heritage back long enough, but it's been like three or four generations that my family's lived in the United States as white Americans. Yeah. Likewise, except not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I largely come from a Polish, uh, Polish background, uh, pretty much my entire family are the exactly what you'd expect Polish nuclear families with a uh, mm -hmm. Catholic background. Um, my dad was the first Adventist in the family and mm -hmm. uh, he married my mom and my dad's parents thought that he was he was basically leaving Jesus because he was leaving the church, Catholic church and it was a whole thing. Um, all that to say they, they uh, I think my first family that migrated to America was in the twenties or thirties. So mm -hmm. I'm like third or fourth generation. So, you know, you and I are immigrants to America too. And mm -hmm. we, because of our skin color benefit from the systems that were created long before our ancestors ever came to America. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's an interesting springboard. I, I don't think you were planning on us going there yet. I know I wasn't, <laughs> but um, what what things have, I, I guess we can just frame it this way. What things have you learned recently or um, semi-recently that other races face 
that specifically let's focus on on black people. Mm-hmm. What what have what have black friends told you they have faced that you have never ever experienced or perhaps didn't expect them to experience? Wow, um, I think uh, I I'll share a response to that by telling a story. Um, and when I was in high school, um, it, this was oh, I don't know probably ten. 10, nine or 10 years ago now that this happened, um, I was talking to one of my classmates one day, we were kind of in a, in a group and I told him he's a, a good friend of mine now. And, um, he and I since have, have talked through this story. Um, so I'm not, I'm not telling anything he doesn't know. Um, but he is black, I'm white. And I looked over at him and I said, man, you're the whitest black guy I know. And in that moment, I was just kind of joking, um, because I, uh, had just, you know, I was looking at him and, and seeing um, some of my my culture in him and how he had culturally appropriated to what I was comfortable with. And that's what I was recognizing. And we kind of laughed it off as a joke. But as I think back to that moment, I remember his his eyes changing, his body kind of tensed a little bit. Um, and he kind of laughed it off too. I laughed it off. We all, you know, whatever. Uh, but that particular moment stuck with me uh, for quite a long time. And fast forward six years from that, um, I'm living with my wife, Melissa, up in Berrien Springs, Michigan, um, where Johnny, you and I attended seminary at the mm-hmm. Andrews Theological Seminary together. Woo, woo. And there was a an event at Andrews called Against the Wall. And it was founded by Ty Gibson and Michael Nixon and a handful of other people. And the uh, w- basic premise of Against the Wall is to break down um, barriers and to raise awareness about racism and injustice in America and provide the Adventist voice for, for, for justice. And there was an event on campus that, that we attended. And, uh, my friend who was, uh, then a student at Southern, um, Southern Adventist university in college, he, uh, had come over for that. And I didn't realize he was coming for that event. And I saw him and we kind of exchanged text messages and we're hoping to see each other, but it just kind of didn't seem like it was working out because he was literally in there for the evening and then was leaving the next morning. Uh, but I get a call from him the next morning and he says, Hey, uh, is there any way that you could take me to the airport over in Chicago? Because my ride fell through and, um, by the time I get an Uber, I'm probably going to miss my flight and whatnot. That's like, a okay. big ask. That's it a is a big ass. ass cause it's two <laughs> hours away. It was winter. So there was still some snow out and, um, it was a big ass, but I said, Hey, I absolutely, man. And so it was, um, a Saturday morning and I, I went and picked him up and, uh, we drove to the O'Hare airport from Southwest Michigan. And I remember on that trip, he and I got to, to catch up. It had been six years, um, since that particular incident I shared just a, a couple uh, minutes ago. And it had been about, I don't know, four or five years since we'd seen each other. And through the midst of that conversation, I remember telling him, Hey, do you remember, uh, when I, I told you you were the, the whitest black guy I knew? He was like, yeah, I do remember that moment. And I told him, Hey, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't understand what I was saying there. Um, and I, I want to apologize to you. And, uh, he extended forgiveness to me and he told me, man, um, your character shown out through the, the rest of high school. He's like, I knew you didn't mean what, what you said. Um, I, I knew you just, you didn't understand, um, what you were saying. Um, and he's like, I could show you nothing but love, man, cause you deserve love. And he showed me a better representation of Christ's character than I showed him. Um, and it was through conversations with him and several other friends uh, that I had in seminary 
that um, I got to hear their experience as black people in America, I began to realize that there's a system that's been built on the backs of their ancestors that Mm -hmm. really promotes my whiteness and demotes their blackness. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, when I was talking to my friend in high school, I thought I could define his blackness by my whiteness and that was okay. And I diminished that. And that's um, white supremacy in a subtle form, but that's white supremacy and that's, that's not okay. And what I've learned and even more over the past probably about month since the, um, the, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and the murder of George Floyd and um, several other persons of color that have, that have hit the news um, recently, I've come to realize um, even more so now that um, the black people as a community have been system- systemically, not systematically, well, sometimes systematically, but systemically um, put down as a community. And there's barriers in place for them to to operate in this beautiful, wonderful land of the free and home of the brave that we live in. Um, and that hurts my heart. That hurts my heart um, as, as a child of God, as, as a pastor, um, and as a friend of people of that community. Um, that hurts that there are people in this country that are treated less than, and that's not okay. Mm. Beautifully said. Thanks for, for sharing your, your story there, Michael. And I just, I just want to, to agree with everything you said, but I also want to clarify something very important. Mm-hmm. We are not talking about this just because it's popular right now. We are not talking about this because it's in the news, because, you know, this will get us more more views and listens on the podcast. You know, uh, this is not the reason. However, we openly admit that we have not become as aware of things until it has hit the critical mass, the boiling point, whatever analogy you want to use, that people simply can't stay quiet anymore. So we are acknowledging, let, let me frame it this way. And we talked about this a little bit before we started hitting record for the for the episode, Michael. But I just I just want to say it again. Um, this may be controversial, and I don't care. <laughs> um, I I firmly believe that God is using the Black Lives Matter movement to rebuke the church for our silence on what has always been a core aspect of the gospel. And for my Adventist friends that are listening the core aspect of the three angels message. And mm-hmm. I just want to, I just want to clarify that our, our philosophy, or let me just speak for myself. You know, I don't want to throw Michael <laughs> under the bus and Casey wants to separate himself from me. You know, this is fine. So here's the, here's Anathema. the, <laughs> here's the delineator. This is just Johnny speaking. Um, I, I feel like speaking out against social injustice and trying to take tangible steps towards breaking down the systematic racism that has pervaded our church, not just society, but our church, mm-hmm. is evangelism. And I always think of the story in Esther where the Jews are about to be murdered and a counter order goes out that Esther pushes forward through, through God's leading and the people have to choose. Do we kill the Jews because there's two orders out. One is to kill the Jews. The other is to kill those who are going to kill the Jews. And both orders are stamped by the seal of the king, which the author makes very clear cannot be undone. So there's two competing orders out, meaning everybody has to choose. And 
I want to say, you know, shockingly or magically, but I feel like God's hand was in it, but also he respected choice. You know, like that episode we talked about before, mm-hmm. God respects mm-hmm. choice. Yep. The people chose to defend the Jews who were unrightfully oppressed. And the scripture says there that more people became Jews because the fear of the Jews and the fear of the Lord filled them. So that to me shows that we have precedent in the Bible that God has used breaking the bonds of the oppressed, destroying the mindset of the oppressor for the effort of turning people's hearts back to him. So that's that's my thing, Michael. You can agree, you yeah. can disagree. I just want to separate, <laughs> you know. Uh, for some reason, I feel like that's an unpopular opinion. I don't think it, it I think it makes sense, but I just want to, you know, no, make I, sure that it's just, yeah. I would 100% agree with that. Um, I, I, oh, you good. See, you're going down, <laughs> the, you know, you're going down with me. I am, I am. You even look at, um, you look at the story of the book of Daniel uh, and how God uses the king of Babylon to rescue his people. I mean, he put his people in exile, but he was using the king of Babylon to teach them a lesson. So we can place that on a shelf. But then he ultimately converts the heart of the king of Babylon. Yes. Through an incredible experience. And so God is not shy for using the things of this world for his purpose. And Revelation 17, 17 says God does exactly that, particularly in times that he, there's the purpose of man to destroy Babylon because uh, Babylon's ultimately going to crumble. And he uses that. God says, yeah, that's, that's my, I might got to have a little bit of a, a different take on it about why I'm doing it, but God will use the purposes of man to bring about his will. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to, to highlight here as we're talking about how this Black Lives Matter movement and the, the awakening of awareness of injustice in the United States and even around the world, I wanted to highlight a particular news story that you and I saw recently, Johnny. Um, it was during a protest in London, um, London, England, and there's, I'll put a link to in the, the show notes uh, for those of you that are visual and want to see it. But there's this picture of a Black Lives Matter protester with a anti or counter protester over his shoulder. And the counter protester has been injured. Um, I don't know exactly all the details of how he was injured, but this Black Lives Matter protester picked up the counter protester and he's carrying him through the crowd to save his life. Crazy. And um, this is what the the man um, is quoted as saying. I wasn't thinking. I was just thinking of a human being on the floor. I had no other thoughts in my mind apart from getting to safety. And he said, it's not black versus white. It takes everyone versus the racist. We had other uh, others back and protected those. Uh, we had each other's back and protected those who needed us. And so he says, Hey, it's taking a step back. I was looking out for another human being. I don't, it's not his ideology. I no. I'm looking out for my brother who's in need. Mm. Mm. If I've ever seen a living out of what you're preaching, it's in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, cause black lives matter. If I understand correctly, the whole movement is to reach out for the specific people group that is hurting. So if you mm-hmm. if you live that mentality, if you see pain, you will do everything within your power to remove the person from the pain and solve the deeper issue. And I think mm-hmm. that just that just broke my heart in a in a good way to see this man carrying this man who has a completely different skin color, completely different ideology 
and yet love remains. Mm-hmm. And I want to read this this quote from a man named W. David O. Taylor. It's yeah, from the yeah, book yeah. Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. Here's the quote. In the Psalms, there is no true worship without justice, no faithful prayer that leaves out justice, and no genuine faith that takes justice less seriously than God takes it. And I I love this. And we actually tweeted about it today uh, mm-hmm. as as the day we're recording, which is Monday. Um, and where's God on Twitter? Yeah. What's what's today? Oh, June 15. 15th. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> the days run together, man. I honestly have to check my calendar to know what day it is. But <laughs> we're in this like quasi lockdown, quarantine, not quarantine world. It's, it's right. It's crazy. It's, this is life is so weird. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just glad to be to be on this journey. But, you know, I this quote really struck me because sometimes we see I wouldn't say sometimes I'd say most times we see justice as something that's done out there. Justice is something that's this loose concept. But this author says very clearly after reading Psalms that there is no worship without justice. And the way I reconcile that, because we're still having worship every weekend, you know, we call it worship and I believe it is worship, but it seems like it's just lip service Mm -hmm. unless there is action that is actively meeting people's needs and actively putting aloe vera on the burn, you know, Mm -hmm. because if someone's sunburnt on their shoulders and you go and you put aloe vera on their ankles, it's like, okay, you know, I love that you tried, but that did not help anything. (laughs) So I feel like that is worship without justice is putting aloe on the wrong place. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's a really dumb analogy, Michael. Uh, what do you know? That, you... <laughs> that like sparked in my mind. That was the perfect image. Um, and then with all the, the bickering that's going on and the, the political correctness, um, everybody's arguing over whether uh, you put the aloe vera in the right spot when the sunburn is clearly there. And there's people on one side saying, no, it needs to go on the ankle. <laughs> people like, no, it needs to go on the back. And then people decrying other people because they're saying it needs to go on the back. But doesn't all the body need aloe vera? No, the <laughs> part of the body that sunburned needs exactly. aloe vera, right? Exactly. exactly. As you're mentioning this, this idea of, of justice as worship, uh, it reminds me of Amos chapter 5. Mm. And God has some stark words to say through Amos to the, to the children of Israel. Um, he tells them, hate evil, love good, and establish just justice in the gate. And then he tells them this, as Amos chapter 5, verses uh, 21 through 24. He says, I hate and I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings at, of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters. And righteousness oh. like an ever-flowing stream. Wow, wow, wow. Well, let me ask you, Michael, those things that God is rejecting, didn't he institute those things? He sure did. So that, like, just just dwelling on that passage is so mind-blowing mm-hmm. that God literally... Because what, what are those sacrifices for? That's for the, the sin problem, correct? This yeah, is for to, the atonement of sin. This is, yes, exactly. So how crazy, like, let's, let's just dwell on this. How Mm -hmm. crazy is it that God would set aside temporarily the atonement of sins so that he could reach those who are hurting? Mm. Like that is mind blowing as a Christian. Mm -hmm. I, I, 
I've never, I've never really thought about it that way where mm -hmm. God intentionally says you and your hurting is important enough for me to drop everything that I'm doing, even though it is like gargantuan in terms of importance of what I'm doing, I will set it down so that yeah. I can minister to your need and your wound. That yeah. blows my mind. Well, and here's the thing at the, the, the time that Amos is writing this, Jesus isn't on the picture yet. And so as God is calling out these, these festivals and everything set up, he's reminding the children of Israel that these are symbols or types of what's to come. Mm. These are the, 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 the blood of animals does not save us. The, the, the festivals that we keep do not save us. They are only instituted to remind us of the ultimate sacrifice that for the children of Israel would be paid by Jesus. And for us was paid by Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, in the midst of all of that, when Jesus stands up in Luke 4 in the beginning of his ministry and he says, my ministry is to set free the captive, to liberate the oppressed, to give sight to the blind. And so Jesus coming to this earth to establish righteousness on behalf of us who are sinful, he couches that within the framework of social justice. And when he finishes uh, his, or he's in the middle of his second coming discourse with the disciples in Matthew 24 and 25, he tells the disciples, when I come back in the middle of Matthew 25, I'm going to be separating the sheep and the goats. The sheep are the ones who, who fed me and clothed me. And they're going to say, when did we do that? And he said, when you did it to the least of these. And yes. the goats are going to say like, we never saw you that way. How could we have done that to you? He's like, yeah, because you rejected the least of these. And so the entire... Uh, entire arc of Jesus' life is centered around ministering to the least of these, the one that society has has put on the back burner. Mm. And I think what you and I are wrestling with, Johnny, is how we as pastors, how we as husbands, how we as friends, how we then make our life truly uh, imbued with the gospel, the gospel of, of liberation of, of sanctification, a gospel of, of breaking chains, mm -hmm. not in a, just a temporal way where we're handing some stuff out because it's good charity, but right. we're living and preaching true freedom, true justice and true righteousness. Yes, 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 exactly. And, uh, you know, I, there's a lot to say, but we're trying to keep this episode tight. So <laughs> I, I think we failed already. I, I do think we failed and I hope that's okay. But I, I think one of the things we can wrap up with is, is this quote from, you know, to continue the thought line that you're painting, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to obfuscate or, you know, move away <laughs> from that. <laughs> um, this is from Abraham Heschel and he, uh -huh. he's a, he's a famous scholar and he wrote a masterful book called the prophets. Yep. And he's also got a really cool beard. He does have a cool beard. I wish I could grow a beard, side note, but I can only grow like a patchy goatee. But Johnny just wishes he could be like me. I know. I'm here stroking my sad goatee as we speak, but <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. Um, anyway, so this is actually, my quote is within another quote. <laughs> um, I'm reading this book called Jesus for President. It's by a guy named Shane Claiborne, and it's he's basically removing the polarizing aspects of American politics and talking about the politics of Jesus and how injustice is something that Jesus and the prophets 
constantly spoke out against. So this is in the context of that. Here is another quote within the quote. <laughs> All right, it, it says this. To us, a single act of injustice, cheating in business, exploitation of the poor is slight. To the prophets, a disaster. To us, injustice is injurious to the welfare of the people. To the prophets, it is a death blow to existence. To us, an episode. To them, a catastrophe, a threat to the world. And Shane Claiborne follows up with this. After all, a lot is at stake. And sometimes it just takes one voice to interrupt the pattern of injustice. Wow. And prior to this quote, he is lamenting a little bit how the prophets, regardless of popular support mm -hmm. or lack of popular support, always, always, always spoke out. And he's lamenting about that because he's saying essentially that Christians today are only speaking out because it's popular or are not speaking about, out about it because it's impopular. So I think we know two things, Michael. We know mm -hmm. one, scripture is rife, is absolutely overflowing with references to justice. Mm -hmm. So much so that it really, really boils down to God's throne as uh, the source and foundation of justice, right? And number two, we know that we can't not say something. Mm -hmm. So this, this is us trying to process how we can add a positive change into the, the systematic oppression of a people mm -hmm. in our own sphere. So mm -hmm. obviously we can't change the world, but we do have a concentric circle of influence that we can influence. So I, I would say that our encouragement to you, dear listener, is to do the same with yours. Your voice has so much more impact than you expect. And, you know, we were talking a little bit, Michael, about the Good Samaritan mm -hmm. and how, you know, this is this is a reference towards how Jesus would treat black lives now is he yeah. would frame black lives in a beautiful, positive way. And, you know, now we look back. I don't know if we talked about this in the last podcast, but now we look back and we see and hear Samaritan and we think only good associated with him but at the time he was the scum of the earth the whole the whole group of people was seen as scum but because jesus used his one voice to speak positivity and truth into that it forever changed the course of history so i think we can do the same thing today absolutely so dear listener say something <laughs> Use your yes. voice to, to speak up against injustice uh, and elevate the voices that have been diminished in our community. Um, this sharing of experiences and stories has been absolutely powerful and it's brought about an awakening, awakening in our country. So Johnny, I'm going to kind of do this on the fly, but I believe this is part one of an episode that we need to record next, which part two is some practical ways that we can uh, influence our voice, that our voice can learn um, about injustice and about how we fit into that, and then how we practically then go out and and do something about injustice that we see in, in our world. We don't have time to cover that today. We've got to come back and do that in the next episode. I definitely didn't agree to that, but I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm just messing with you. Can we um, re-record re the outro? <laughs> no, this is what we do. We have cheesy outros. Um, <laughs> no, Michael, you're spot on. We need to give practical steps, and this is something that will help us as well within our sphere. If you want to re-record it, that's fine. Um, but 
Nah, we're not going to do it. We'll leave it. So, hey, guys, come back next time. Um, thank you so much for listening. Again, you can follow us on at Where's God Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We promise we'll try to, we'll promise we'll try to keep those more updated. But, you know, we've got other stuff going on. So, um, just we we love y'all. We're praying for you. We appreciate mm-hmm. the support and your listens. And we hope that your journey um, through learning what your voice sounds like in the cacophony of this world uh, will be one that's filled with love and one that will be empowered to stand up for those who don't have a voice that's as loud as yours. Absolutely. Like Michael said, speak up. All right, guys, we will see you next time. Adios. As usual, it was rough and beautiful at the same time. <laughs>